Welcome to the O'Reilly Data Show. I'm your host, Ben Lorica. Before we jump into today's episode, I want to remind our listeners that we do have two event series that they can go and attend and learn more about the topics covered in this podcast. The first one is called the Strata Data Conference, which you can find at strataconf.com. The second one is the Artificial Intelligence Conference, which you can find at the AIConf.com. In this episode of The Data Show, I speak with Carme Artigas, co-founder and CEO of Synergic Partners, now a Telefonica company. As more companies adopt big data technologies, it's useful to remember that the end goal is to extract information and insight. And to that end, it's really about identifying and prioritizing use cases. So Carme guides us through her work developing a center of excellence within Telefonica. The center of excellence is dedicated to analytics and machine learning and AI in the enterprise. I hope you enjoy this conversation. Carme Artegas, welcome to The Data Show. Thank you very much, Ben. So I'm, I'm looking at your LinkedIn uh, profile and uh, you've had a lot of really interesting executive in leadership position. So how did you, when did you start focusing on big data and data science? Okay, I started focusing on big data and data science around year 2005, 2006. In fact, my inspiration came after Bill Clinton talk in Barcelona in year 2000, um, 2001, just precisely after the September 11 attacks. And that uh, inspiration came when he said we had all the information, but we were unable to see it. We were unable to predict it. And he added, but this will not happen again because there's a new model, a new pattern, a new area that needs to be developed to gather the aggregated view of data. And that was like a message that stayed for a long, long time because I didn't end up with that message again until year 2005 when I was responsible for the uh, e-government administration in, in the region in Spain, in Catalonia region, where Barcelona is the, the center. And I had the responsibility to develop intelligent ways to uh, have uh, access for citizens, for e-government, to facilitate things for, for people. And then I realized that I had a lot of information spread in different systems, and I could not process that huge amount of information, and I could not get analytics out of it in the traditional way. And then I recalled that message. I recall that sentence. And I decided to spend one year in Silicon Valley getting to know what happened with those innovators. Bill Clinton was like predicting it. They will, they will appear. And after being like, you know, almost nine months uh, getting in contact with the Valley, I discovered that there was like a new breach of, you know, uh, technologies that were really creating a momentum that they, they were going to be transformation. And then I saw the opportunity to, to help businesses transform uh, with taking into account that data was going to become the center of the systems and the center of the business. Oh, so, so that this, inspiration so, so, came so, the so, time. So, so this base, basically this led into what became your consulting company, Synergic Partners. Exactly. So at that point of time, then I realized that data was going to become the center. It was the very, very early times of Hadoop. You know, Hadoop uh, as a project was started in year 2006. I was there in year 2005. I really thought this is going to be so disruptive. I'm not quite sure that the big names are, are going to buy all these uh, startup companies to just them 
make them disappear because this is going to jeopardize a lot of the existing business. And this is why I waited just one more year, uh, year 2006, to start up my company. I came from the VC sector. I was the, the CEO of the venture capital fund of Ericsson, the, the mobile telecom company in Sweden, in Sweden. And I was responsible for the European venture capital fund. So I had been investing in startups in the wireless internet space. And I said, I need to have my own project. And, but I never came with the right project. And that was like a light. And I said, okay, that is the time because that's going to change the world. And I had that inspiration. And, and of course, the level of maturity of Europe was like two years behind the United States. And you, you could not just start a company trying to implement big data solutions because the market was not even aware that there was a problem. Nobody was aware that they had a problem in the way they were processing information. And then this is why I started as a consulting company, because I realized that business need to become aware that things were going to change and the way of processing information was going to be dramatically different in the future. And this is why I started the company as a consultancy firm, so helping the decision makers understand all the impact that is going to, to happen and that we know already has happened. So a lot of the early days probably was around training and education. Absolutely. Well, it was like more evangelization. I was like talking about all the CTOs of big companies in Europe and nobody was even aware of the data quality issues they had. They were not, uh, uh, they were ta- make, ta- making decisions based on data, which was incomplete, which was inaccurate. They were not, of course, enriching internal information with external information. They had performance problems. You know that already. So all the transformational things that thanks to big data, thanks to Hadoop, thanks to the new ways of uh, advanced analytics is, is providing for companies to get insights. But to that point of time, you know, like people were making decisions very, very blind. So fast forward to today, at some point, Synergic Partners was acquired by Telefonica. So you're now within Telefonica. So what is the state of big data now? Where are we? Mm -hmm. So as you say that I started my company in year 2006, that was the very, very early times. So the evolution of our company has been encompassed with the evolution of big data and advanced analytics. And we were pioneers in, in Europe. And in year 2015, we were acquired by Telefonic, which is the global teleco- telecom company, which is uh, important presence in uh, Spain, in Latin America, but also in, in UK and in Germany. And the reason why they acquired us was to, first of all, accelerate their own internal adoption of big data, transforming a telco company into a data company, and of course, becoming a key enabler of other industries uh, in the adoption and acceleration of big data. So I consider that nowadays, big data is something very mature uh, from the technology point of view, but is not mature from the business adoption point of view. So I see like there is a gap between the maturity of the technology and the level of adoption by the industries and the, this business in general. You have a nice way of kind of uh, uh, framing the different use cases. You talk about improving operational efficiency and decision-making generating mm-hmm. new revenues and pre- prevention yeah. and prediction of fraud and risk, which, by the way, I've been I've been using this framing. So if anyone hears me okay, talking great. about this framing of use cases, that's because of Carmen. <laughs> okay. Then, I mean, it's been helpful, so I'm happy <laughs> about this. You can use it anytime. So, uh, so in your mind, uh, is it easy for companies now to, to identify these use cases? That, that is the real challenge. So I remember that in the early times, the use cases for big data 
came from the IT department. And in the early times, the use case was either justifying an offloading of the traditional data warehouse to move it to Hadoop because it was like more cheaper to store huge volumes of data. So the use cases were very technical, very like cost-driven or performance-driven. But if that was only the way to justify big data, we wouldn't be here today talking. We, it wouldn't be the matter of concern of all the CEOs in, the, in, in, in currently in the big companies and the matter of concerns of the board of directors of many companies. If it is a matter of concern today, it's because it has a business value. And the key is to find the business value. And as you mentioned, there are all, I, my, my experience says that there are only three ways when we can justify the business value, either because it helps generate revenue streams, gain operational efficiency, or predict and prevent fraud and risk. And what I'm trying to do, and I see more and more, is that when business takes the leadership, they are able to identify those use cases. We either have two types of customers, ones that say, I have this business problem. Can you help me solve these problems with big data and analytics? But there are some others who say, okay, I have all this data. What can I do with it? And then it's when we say, okay, let's start with the use case discovery. So the first part of any big data strategy must start with a use case discovery. What are the data we have? What are the business problems we want to solve? And how can we link that gap? So at this point, so as you mentioned earlier, so in the early days, you said the use cases came from IT. So at this point, are the use cases coming from the business units? Absolutely. I would say that the first early adopters were banking and uh, insurance industry. And the, the, also the business use cases, the most uh, popular were about predicting churn and predicting fraud. No, because it was really, like really hard money. Which is then actually some, so, something probably that the uh, telco people care a lot yes. about, right? So, yeah. Telco cares a lot about churn rates, also banking. Bank also care about uh, fraud prevention and also unpayables uh, risk. And so, yes, all the preventing risk and fraud was the main objective because that was very like hard money. But immediately after, marketing departments took the leadership, especially in the retail industry, but also in banking and insurance. And everybody started to use big data to know more about the customer, to generate new customer insights, and therefore define strategies for personalizing products and services. And now, with the emergency of the adoption of big data by industry, by manufacturing industry, and the conversions between big data and IoT, the real, real, let's say, important big cases we see currently are related with operational efficiency in the industrial sector. So it's like that following, following my uh, circle, we're going to one point to the other, uh, counterclockwise. <laughs> so starting with fraud and risk, following with customer insights, and following with operational efficiency. But currently, all companies in all the industries have all the use cases. As you mentioned, in the early days, IT took the lead, probably one, because it was still technical and not uh, the technology wasn't uh, that mature. But nowadays, uh, technology is much easier to use. There's, it's the, Even the interfaces are somewhat democratized and accessible Absolutely. to analysts. So what is the common entry point these days? Do you still need IT or do you just start at the business unit level and go from there? Yeah, I mean, uh, I would say that there are like two different speeds or two different levels of adoption, depending on the maturity of the organization. But what is clear is that thanks to big data and thanks to the cloud, any business department can run a POC on big data without waiting for the IT. The key issue here is if we have the data available. Where is the data? And this is why uh, any big data strategy must start with creating the corporate data lake and really 
unlocking the data from the uh, proprietary applications and reaching the data with external sources. But once you have the data, then the uh, business departments can have a high level of independency of the core IT. But if this is not centralized, the issue here is that we cannot scale up those departmental use cases to the benefit of the, the whole corporation. And that is the challenge I see today. I see that there's maturity in terms that many companies already have proven the business value of big data by implementing uh, use cases, departmental use cases. But the problem now is how can we industrialize and scale up those use cases along the organization? So marketing might be more sophisticated than uh, finance, for example, because they, they got started earlier in big data. Yeah, they have, they, they have different use case that requires different tools and it requires different big data components of the architecture because probably they need to monitor something in real time while financial doesn't need a real time of scoring or maybe yes if you are a let's say an aggregator need to make a quotation in real time so there are a lot of use cases and the key is that you have first your roadmap of use cases prioritized by business needs and based on that you really define your roadmap of the architecture the big data architecture and the roadmap of your big data provision in a strategy what is the data you need to fit in the data lake first? What is the latency? What is the frequency? What is the external data we need for this particular use case? But if not, what happens is that you may find a beautiful use case that has a, like a 700% ROI, and then business goes to the IT department and say, oh, wait, you cannot implement this use case today. You need to wait six months because this component, I didn't have it planned until June 2018, or I do not have the data you need for this use case. So for me, the key is how can we coordinate all these needs? And for me, this must be led by business. So at, at this point, as I mentioned, the technology is easier to use. There's varying levels of adoption. Some, uh, As you mentioned, uh, probably many people have uh, so at least some use cases that they can identify. So what are some of the key remaining challenges? The level of adoption of uh, technology, because technology is mature, it's easier than the level of adoption by business. And the challenge here is that we don't have silos of big data. So big data was designed to remove all the silos of information. As I mentioned you, uh, it happened in the early times. So what is the challenge that the companies still need to face in order to be able to scale up big data across a corporation and really make a real impact on business outcomes? And for me, there are many, many challenges, but I would like probably summarize them into three big ones. For me, the first one is that there's a lack of a skill across organization. So, you know, we know that the global shortage of analytical talent. So it's not only challenging for a company to acquire the right talent, but also that the talent, this talent is not equally spread along the entire organization. It's usually concentrated in some departments. It can be in risk department or in marketing department, but it's very difficult then to leverage those skills for the good of the entire so, organization. So what skills are we talking about? Analytical skills, profiles like big data architects, data engineers, but also uh, subject matter experts able to understand the business needs and translate them into the data scientist language, let's say. So for me, the important is that how can we have good balance of skills across the organization, not only concentrate 10 data scientists in the risk department. Imagine a company that has a global presence, which is a multinational. It's very difficult. The case of Telefonica, you cannot have the best breed of data scientists in Argentina, in Peru, in Chile, in UK, in Germany, in Spain, in the US. So that is a challenge. How can we really leverage 
the talent and the skills that are in the organization across the corporation. The second challenge I see is lack of standards and lack of governance. So the point is that you might find that every single data science team uses their own libraries or their own version of codes or their own software or, you know, their own tools. So they are thinking about the benefit of that particular use case and what are the best tools and the best models for that particular use case. But then this cannot scale up. That makes it very, very difficult. Uh, this variety of versions of libraries and tools make it very difficult to industrialize and implement global solutions. It's funny that you say that because, you know, in the early days of data science, of course, that epitomized the data scientists was that they would use different tools and they basically kind of uh, were very nimble and could draw upon many different skill sets. But as you point out, that doesn't really scale. That doesn't really scale. Exactly. Probably it's not, for example, version of code or so. I mean, if every single data science team has their own GitHub and the code is not reutilized from one country to the other. An example, uh, we're talking about churn, churn models. I mean, the churn model in Telco, for example, in Brazil is not the same churn model that's in Peru because it depends on the behavior of the customer and these changes from one country to the other. But the part, I mean, 60% of the model can be reused because the source of data, which is the, the detailed call transactions, are the same model everywhere. So if we use the same software version, if we use the same methodology, the same libraries, we could reuse that code. We could ensure and, and make it more operational and more efficient to just personalize the 20, 30% of that code per country, not develop a whole new analytical model per country. So that's the type of things that can help operational efficiency, it can help reutilization. Defining some standards, not only development standards, but that has to do with coding, tools, version control, quality control. And if they share the same tools or the share methodologies, then is when a company can put a same model in production everywhere and standardize in a more scalable way. And then I guess uh, probably one uh, one main challenge that uh, probably cuts across the others that you mentioned are these organizational and cultural challenges. Yes, this comes across not only because of the lack of skills, but also, as I mentioned, the skills you need to change or the new skills you need to develop are not only on the technical side, mostly are on the business side too. Because, you know, decisions makers need to make decisions in different ways. They need to make decisions based on data based on facts. The other most important cultural change is that so far data was belonging to application or was belonging to particular departments. So financial were not allowing marketing department having access to their data sets. And everybody's working with the same data sets, with the same data tools, and then it's not unsurprising that they come always with the same results. So we need to start, you know, blending data between one department to the other and creating this corporate data lake. And that is really a challenging cultural change because we are like moving from a culture where data is mine, like Gollum <laughs> from the Lord of Kings, or my data, my treasure. And now we say that we need to populate data in such a way that we have, we democratize access to data to the whole organization. And that's a very important cultural change, how to make access of all organizations to data so everybody can contribute to discover new insights, but at the same time, keeping the policies about data governance and data privacy controls in place. And this is why governance is also a key, a key piece here. And the other most important culture and change is that so far, those who are taking the decisions were the highest paid people in the organization. 
And that has to change because the people who is on the top of the, the, the hierarchical organization is not only always the best informed person in the organization or the one able to discover the best insights. So when you democratize the access to data, in fact, what you are democratizing is also the access to decision making. And some companies are not ready to do so. You know, I have a, I have a joke that I tell people, which is uh, uh, if you look at a data pipeline from start to end, by the time you get to the dashboard, the executive dashboard, the data, mm-hmm. is, the data is so clean uh, <laughs> that maybe you don't need a, a human. You just need an AI to make the decision. So in other words, the, the, easiest, the easiest position to automate is the highest position. <laughs> <laughs> you are right. You are right. Yes, because there are things that will be already, as you may, automated. Something so rational and so structured, we don't need a human intervention. We will need human intervention to discuss pros and cons, trade-offs, and, and, and you know, see the, all the potential scenarios which are more probabilistic than deterministic. Yeah, yeah. Or, or uh, early on in the data cleaning process, there's so, many, there's so much domain expertise probably that you need, right? But once, once the data is all clean, then uh, you're good to go. What about GDPR? as an issue. Uh, so obviously, uh, you're in Europe, I'm in the US, but even US companies are starting to talk about GDPR. Yeah, I think it is an issue, but it's not a bigger issue than the one we were mentioning. It has to do with governance. At the end of the day, um, there are two things around here. First is the concept of data privacy, which I see it has changed all the time. There are some cultures and then some generations more sensible around their data privacy than others. So I see my kids having all their lives in Facebook and I don't have it in Facebook. <laughs> so the point is uh, they are exposing their life in ways that I didn't uh, would like to expose my life. So the, con- the, 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 the concept of what's private or not is changing around generations. But it is clear that we need to put the control about the data on the hands of the consumer the hands of the user because that's very sensitive and I have like you know uh, kids and I'm very very worried about the information of the the private information so first of all we need we must be aware that we are managing with very sensitive material which is data and we need to have procedures in place which govern what can be seen what can be done with that data that is a field of concern that as you mentioned Europe as a, as a society is, has been traditionally more concerned about. And there is a very important regulation starting in June 2018 called the GDPR that in one hand is, uh, let's say, putting the same standard in all the different countries of Europe because every country has their had their own uh, privacy regulation and it was really a mess. So we are gaining uh, transparency here. But the reason why people will have to follow a GDPR for me is not just to meet the law, for me, it will be more important business reputation for security and privacy. So there are things that probably you can do, but your customer, your consumer will not allow you to do for a reputational issue. So what we are happening here is that pushed by the regulation, but also by the reputation, it will be more and more important that companies are transparent with the usage they are doing about customers' data. And in particular in Telefonica, we have put that as a key priority. And there's a project called Aura, which at the end of the day is creating like a dashboard for all our customers in which they can interact in all our systems. We say, okay, this is all the data I gather for you. This is your personal data bank. Let, let me know if there is some of this data you don't want me to keep. And second, this is all the things I'm doing with your data. 
I'm analyzing this information, your consumer patterns to be able to, to make you a better offer. Are you allowing me to do so or not? And you can change those patterns dynamically. So on a day is giving back the, the value of the data to the customer because he's the owner of that data. And that's something that I, I, I'm convinced that later, push more by reputation and customer acceptance than by law, all the companies will end up doing. I don't know if you share that view. I am of the belief, well, first of all, it's clear that uh, personalized uh, information leads to better decisions in terms, mm-hmm. of, in terms of algorithms. So if you can create an environment where people are comfortable sharing data with you, you'll probably create an overall better service. So the sooner you, are, you address the concerns of your users, the better off your data products will be. Yes, and this is why it is a question of trust. So the discussion is about trust. So I need to convince you that if you allow me to have more access to your data, I can give that with value. I can give you the data back with value because I have more data. I can make more better recommendations and better uh, services for you. But this has happened from old, from many times ago. I mean, when I go to a traditional retail shop, I have my fidelity, a loyalty card, you know, my loyalty card. Right, and right, they right. have my name and my, my address and my telephone. I mean, already since uh, 20 years ago. And why do I have, why do I allow them to have my address, my telephone, my email and my name and my identity card number? Because they give me a discount. And I think that the trade-off is fair. So if we scale this up with today's environment, it's going to be the same way. I will release more data to you as long as I perceive that you are making good, good use of that data and you are returning, returning that value into a value for me. And this is a question of trust. Right. So one of the things that uh, you've been uh, evangelizing about, and you've been giving a series of talks at uh, our Strata Data Conference uh, all over the world, is this notion of uh, a center of excellence dedicated to analytics and big data. So at a high level, uh, what is a center of excellence? Okay, we were talking about the remaining challenges that the companies are facing to, to really scale up and put the big data at scale so we can industrialize those use cases and really transform the companies. And what we see is that there is a need of acceleration. So companies who are not yet in big data today are being late. They cannot afford the learning curve and they cannot afford to disseminate efforts all over the organization in particular departmental use cases. So we need to find a way when all these efforts are concentrated in such a way that we can really make an impact, a really quantitative impact, and an impact helping the company to transform even their business model. And this is why we come to the conclusion that the best way, the best approach could be the approach of a center of excellence. But, you know, this center of excellence concept is something we are quite familiar about. We have been, you know, hitting the word center of excellence for everything, for BI center of excellence. Uh, so here it probably is like a different uh, flavor of a, a center of excellence when I talk about this analytical uh, center of excellence. So for me, it's a way to accelerate business impact and it's a way to uh, remove all the, the, the roadblocks to really make big data industrialized across the organization. And for me, the concept is a set of team, it's a, a, a team of people who are not only technical te- uh, people, but are also business people. So the center of excellence for me is a, um, a way to connect 
the analytics with business and really make a transformation. So do the people report to a business unit or do they report into the center of excellence? So for me, the, the, the concept is not being like an algorithms factory or just a technical team of product specialists. For me, the analytics center of excellence is like a team of business and technical people that can be internal, external, and even crowdsources that have some centralized capabilities and also some distributed capabilities and resources, creating, creating like a common workspace where they share methodologies, tools, models, and techniques. And the objective is to gain efficiency and be able to implement all these initiatives across the, the different business unit. So here we have like two main components of these centers of excellence. One thing I call it the business transformation unit, and the other is the deployment units. So the BTU, the business transformation unit, is the, really the link of the center of excellence with the business. So we create a, a sort of ambassadors that are in all the business units. And these guys that are part of the BTU are responsible for identifying and prioritizing all the business use cases. And then they connect this with the deployment uh, units. And this is what we call the deployment unit of the COA. And we call it cells. So we need to grow this organically. So first of all, the center of excellence must be connected with business. That's why we create this business strategy unit that links business with the center of excellence. But the second challenge is that this needs to grow organically because the company expands and it scales up new data projects across a corporation. And then we need more people and more teams need to, jo to join. And we create like a centralized function called the core team and like an expansion, which is called the extended team. And we deploy by cells. And we have three types of cells, the analytical cells, the operational cells in the data visualization cells. So it's like a way of concentrating the resources, gaining operational efficiency, having a center of know-how transfer to the set, to the rest of the organization and ensuring best practices and methodologies. So let's make this a little concrete, right? So the headquarters of Telefonica, let's say, is in Europe. I'm, yes. I'm uh, in the Southeast Asia region and, mm -hmm. I, and I need a churn model. So how yes. do I plug into the center of excellence to get my churn model? Okay, then in the center of excellence, there will be a core team based in the headquarters, for example, in Europe. But the Southeast country will also have a group of data scientists that we call it the extended team. Okay, so there the central team has already uh, compiled all the different churn models we have available in all the countries. They have made the best possible model. They have unified this. They have created the common components, and that is what it can be replicated. So the Center of Excellence will make available to this particular country the accelerators and the models available, and will help them developing the particular version for their country that works with their customers' uh, attributes, which are particular to that region. And they will work together as an hybrid team. So in, in practice, does this mean, uh, Harmed, that for uh, some people will fly to Europe or Asia and vice versa? No, 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 no. no. Why? Why? I mean, currently we, need, we don't need to fly. I mean, the, the, every country is autonomous. They have their business units and their uh, data scientist teams. What we are gathering is all the data scientists that are distributed worldwide into a joint way of working led by a centralized unit. I see. And that's the way of working. So the data scientists in Asia uh, share yes. the same tools? Exactly. Exactly. I see. I see. Or, at least, or at least we have three versions. They are the three versions that are recorded as authorized by the, the, the Global Center of Excellence. 
excellence. So a center of excellence is not a physical place. It's a network. A center of excellence is a network of people that can be distributed in different geographies. Because if you are in Asia, probably the best AI developer is not in Asia. It can be because, of course, statistically, you might have the best AI developer. But the best people that knows that particular technology that works better for that use case, probably you have it in your organization or you don't because it's working for your competitor. So instead of trying to desperately hiring somebody in your country to solve that problem, why don't you have access to another person in your organization that is in Brazil? So we can do that. We can crowdsource ourselves internally if you are working against the same platform and against the same methodology. Oh, I see. So, so of you, course, it's not one way. You, ha- you have the communication tools to help people identify and uh, each other yes. and communicate Absolutely. with each other. I see. Yes. We have a common resources, common tools, and, and, and common methodologies. The key here is that we have a way in which all the knowledge developed in one place can be replicated in another place, if that makes sense. Of course, it doesn't make sense. We are not going to pose anything. But the key is you cannot replic- you cannot scale up if you are don't have a certain level of replication and reusability. So this allows this allows you to actually fill in the gaps too, right? So like you said, if uh, if the project requires a certain piece of technology and the expert is in Germany, absolutely, yes. So then we can work in the same way. We can replicate that, or at least we can transfer the best practices developed in Germany to the other country. So this concept that you have of the center of excellence is something you implemented. It, uh, uh, you guys have implemented in Telefonica. Is this something that uh, you're also helping Telefonica partner companies with in terms of uh, thinking this through and how to do? Yes. Before we are able to propose this for our customers, we proved it internally. So we have developed it internally. This is the way we, re- we relate with the corporation and all the subsidiaries we have all over the world and uh, how we have been able to scale up of the talent we were already available in an organization and leverage those skills which are so difficult to find and, and make it more, more efficient. But also, as we are a, a consultancy company and an analytics services company that is working for many other clients apart from Telefonica, we are proposing this as a way to accelerate the adoption of big data by business. So we are working with a very important customer in Saudi Arabia when they are, excuse me, in the Emirates, where they are deploying the center of excellence in a hybrid mode. When we are, when they have the core team and we as a provider become the extended team. So there are different, different ways of implementation. There are other companies where we implement the center of excellence only in one country as a way to make more efficient the analytics function inside that particular company, which is only one place. So instead of disseminating the knowledge of the different departments, we concentrate it in a center of excellence uh, serving the company. So we have already proven that inside our mother company, but also in several industries and in several several customers. So in your mind then, um, what are some of the challenges for a company wanting to go down this road of implementing a center of excellence? I imagine one key challenge is that you have to have buy-in at the high level of the organization. Absolutely. You are absolutely right. This is something that must be led by business and led by the CEO because it has to put in place so many different departments that not always share the same view or the same priorities. So, Or frankly, frankly, to be blunt, uh, uh, might even compete with each other. Absolutely. And you see that between business and IT. And sometimes they compete because they compete for the budget. Right. So <laughs> there are a lot of initiatives at the same time. You have digital transformation initiatives. You have like an upgrade of that technology. So that cannot be competitive. This is not yet another project. 
This is absolutely a corporate strategy. And this is where I see that the analytical center of an excellence is a way to make visible to the whole organization that data is the center of your strategy. And this is why, as you said, it must have support from the maximum level, if possible, the CEO, because then you put need to encompass like four areas in the organization, business, IT, also data provisioning, regulation. And, and that's something that is not just a technology issue. It's a corporate strategy issue. So inside inside a large company like Telefonica, I imagine there's an R&D group that works on things that are future-looking, future-oriented. So do, are those people also part of your center of excellence? R&D people are working in areas where, where the center of excellence gets benefit from. So they are investing, for example, in image recognition. They are like a, a, a more early stage that cannot be yet adopted by the whole organization in an industrialized way. This is why uh, we say that R&D comes before. They are doing things which are not for today. Probably they are doing things for 10 years time or five years time that cannot be directly implemented today. But of course, all the insights and the knowledge and best practices that they discover, then we run pilots and they have proven to be uh, successful. We can incorporate that as a methodology in the center of excellence. Yeah, to be, you know, as you describe this, Carmen, I'm, I'm struck by what I, the, the first thing I'm thinking is that, you know, first of all, when you get started on the center of excellence, you don't need that many people, but you need people who are, no. who buy in to the concept and who will help evangelize throughout the rest of the company. And then it just grows organically, right? Absolutely. We start with the business transformation unit because they have the roadmap of the use cases. So the first people you gather is the business guys able to identify all the use cases. Then you start with the analytical cell, one analytical cell, one deployment cell. And then this grows up. This grows up. Wow. Great. So what are you looking towards in 2018 in terms of projects that uh, get you excited? Is it mostly around AI? Yes, absolutely. I mean, we have seen a transformation of priorities where we started with digital strategies, we've moved to data strategies, and now companies are facing AI strategies. And for me, the challenge is AI in all the senses, not only in a way to accelerate big data adoption and gaining operational efficiencies, but also in identifying new use cases, new way of relating with the customers, and new way of automatizing uh, most of the processes we are currently doing by humans. So it's really, really a challenge. And this will affect not only the business models, but also the way we are interacting as citizens. And for example, in the cities, I see, for example, the model of smart cities evolving from a pure uh, sensor, uh, manage uh, alerts, detection to a more intelligent management of the cities and a new paradigm of the way people are moving and, and evolving. So I really that the center is going to be AI. This is why I still believe that the center of excellence can be the basis of the future of corporate brain. So we need to gather all the intelligence, develop in the center of excellence to really change the mindset of the companies and transforms uh, companies to data-driven companies. And for me, intelligence will become another corporate function. Well, Jaime Ortigas, thank you for being on the data show. Thank you so much, Ben. Thank you. You can follow Carme Artigas on Twitter at Carme Artigas. Thanks for joining us. If you like the show, you can subscribe and rate us on iTunes or Stitcher or TuneIn.com or SoundCloud and never miss an episode. Mm-hmm.